Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Fallotton. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit ibethel.org. We just bless your people. We pray that you would open our eyes. We pray that you would open our eyes of our hearts, our understanding, that you would that your spirit revelation would rest in this room and rest on the hearers, that uh, anyone who accesses this word would be, uh, would be enlightened, would be enlightened in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do, I think it's a three-part series on understanding the scriptures. And I think that a lot of times I feel like Christians, and, and I'm sure I've done this myself, I feel like we're like Peter. You know how Peter, Jesus said, get swords, and Peter took the sword, and he cut off the man's ear? I feel like a lot of Christians are using this, the word, the sword, and we're cutting off people's ears in the name of God. And Jesus is like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and, um, and so I want to talk to you uh, about how to understand the scriptures. In, um, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and said this, be diligent to preserve, to, I'm sorry, to, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handing Handling the word of truth. See if I can get it right once. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And so in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul goes on to say, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so I want to do a series on how do I actually handle the Word of God? How do I understand the Scriptures? And, and um, if you, anybody interact on social networking at all, any of you guys on social networking, it's all anybody on Facebook. That's the battleground for all Christianity, I think. <laughs> it's so interesting how people use the Word of God. It's, it's interesting how many times I watch uh, Facebook posts and comments how People cut off other people's ears. It's like, how many understand the goal of the, of the Bible is to actually redeem people? <laughs> and so, years ago, um, there's a studio right behind here, a small studio now, Brian Johnson's studio. And on Sunday mornings, we used to uh, use it as a uh, nursing mother's room. So you could go into the studio, and there was a big screen in there, and we kind of moved all the equipment aside on Sunday mornings. And... Uh, put some couches in there on Sunday mornings, and, they, and the uh, nursing moms could go in there and nurse their babies and, and watch, the, and watch the, um, the service. And on the door, there was a big sign, about this big, and it said, stop, nursing mothers only. Stop, nursing mothers only. And the, they left the, uh, the sign on there all week long. They just never, someone just put it up there, never took it down. And one day I was, I was walking by there, this is years ago, I was walking by that door one day and I saw it stop, nursing mothers only. And I thought, you know what, if you didn't know that mothers nursed in that room and you just thought, oh, it's only a studio, it's interesting what you could get from that sign. I mean, could it mean stop nursing mothers, everyone can go beyond this point. In other words, nursing mothers, stop. If you're not nursing, you can come in. Or maybe it could mean, we must stop mothers from nursing. It could be a protest sign like, stop mothers from nursing. Let them use formula. 
Or could it indicate something like, everyone else can nurse, but not mothers? <laughs> Which, that's a very bad mental picture. <laughs> now, well, we all, we all know it, that the sign means, hey, don't come in here. Mothers are nursing, right? That's what the sign means. But if you don't know that that's not just a studio, you could come up with some really strange ideas if you don't know what's going on in the room. <laughs> if you don't know God, it's amazing what you can make the Bible say. <laughs> Stop mothers from nursing. You can make the Bible speak against mothers when actually it's actually saying, Hey, stop, there's mothers nursing in here. I'm speaking in metaphors. It's amazing how someone will take a scripture that was actually meant to empower someone and use it to, to disempower them. And so if we don't realize what's in the heart of God, if we don't realize what's happening in the studio of God, it's amazing what we can make the Bible say. See, we don't tend to see the Bible the way it is. We tend to see it the way we are. We tend to read the Bible to actually justify what we already believe. That's a good word. No, too late. I brought my encouragement with me. <laughs> we don't tend to see the world the way it is. We tend to see the world that we are, the way we are. And we tend to spiritualize our dysfunctions. <laughs> One of the reasons we don't change is we have a scripture for the reason why we're dysfunctional. I, I got angry, and Jesus got angry. Jesus turned over tables, so I've never done that. I don't need an anger management class. I just need a new verse. And so I, I, I just, I, I want to spend a couple of, two or three uh, sessions just talking about how do I get the sword? So I'm like, I got the sword. Oh! I read the Bible. Okay, that's good. Now, how many people have lost ears around you? How many, have you? how many people have you used to cut off the ears of those people and no longer want to hear God because you own one of those things? And so I want to talk to you about, like, how do I relate to the Word of God? Like, what's going on in the studio? Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Jesus said this, actually. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Proceeds, everybody say proceeds, proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you understand? It's not what God said, but what God's saying that's actually bread to your soul. It's not the, pro, not the preceding word, but the proceeding word that actually feeds me. See, what God said tells me how God thinks, but what God's saying tells me what God's thinking. When in the Old Testament, manna, how many know Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven? Manna, he's the bread in the wilderness. And the manna only lasted one day, except for Fridays. So if you're like, hey, we're going to take the week off, we're going to collect all the manna, and we're going we're to not work all week. Well, you're going to fast for six days because the manna is only good for one day. If you kept the manna for more than one day, it was rotten the next day. And my point is, you can't live on yesterday's experience. That you, it's, it's the proceeding word that gives life to you, not what God said, but what God is currently saying. In other words, you need a relationship with God. If, you're, if your greatest testimony is five years old, says something about our relationship with God. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 22, it's a great story, I've used it many times, about 
Abraham, he gets a word from the Lord. And the word is, take Isaac to the top of the mountain and sacrifice him. So he gets to the top of the mountain, probably two, three day journey. And when he gets to the top of the mountain, there's a new word. And the new word is, don't sacrifice Isaac. I provided a sacrifice. If Isaac wasn't, I'm sorry, if Abraham wasn't current with God, Isaac be dead. How many understand where, where I'm going? If Abraham took the word and, and didn't listen again, if he didn't stay in relationship with God, the promise would have never happened because the promise was in Isaac. And God said, sacrifice your promise. By the time he gets to the top of the mountain, God says, don't sacrifice your promise. I just wanted to make sure you love me more than you love your promises. I think that lots of words actually have an expiration date. I remember when Elijah was told, when he stopped the rain, and God said, go to the, go to, uh, the creek and, and to the, this river, and I will provide for you there. I'll, provide, I'll tell the ravens to feed you, and you'll, you'll drink out of the creek, and you'll, the ravens will feed you. And, and We don't know how long Elijah was there, but it says the creek dried up, and the ravens stopped coming. Why did Elijah go there in the first place? Because he had a word from God. But do you, can you see that the word had an expiration date? <laughs> and then God had, then, then Elijah talked to God and said, hey, the raven stopped coming, the creek dried up, and God said, okay, I'm going to provide for you at this woman's house. Here's her address. He gives them her address, tells them exactly where to go. He goes to the widow's house and says, hey, you're supposed to provide for me. Only promise she has no food. <laughs> and Elijah ha- realizes that the, his provision isn't in the widow, it's in the word. Here's where I'm going. First of all, I want to say that we need to be current with God. Like We need to have a relationship with God so that when we come to the Word of God, that we're receiving new manna and not just repeating. We're not just an echo. We're, we're a voice. We're not, just, we're, not just, we're not just reflecting. We're shining. Like We're actually coming to the Word, not just to validate what we already believe, but to receive new manna, daily manna. And, and we're, we're like, God, speak to me. And some of us are sitting at the river, and the river's dried up. The, the ravens stopped coming, and we're mad. And instead of getting mad, get a relationship. <laughs> Years ago, I had this dream. Now, I've told this dream several times. I've shared this dream many times. And I've also, um, I, th- I think it's in one of my books. I, I actually love telling the story, except for I always leave frustrated because I'm trying to explain with words something that happened as an experience. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever just had some, some amazing thing happen to you and you try to explain it to someone else and you're like, and this thing happened, you're all excited, and you look in their eyes, they're not excited. <laughs> you're like, somehow the thing that happened to me did not get reproduced through my words. And so I'm, I, I want to see if I can um, communicate something that, I will, that happened as an experience, but it's really powerful. I had this dream, and in this dream, I saw words, like the word holy, like the word powerful, Jesus, you know, um, spirit. I just saw courage. Uh, I saw all these words, and they were going across the screen like a CNN or Fox News ticker tape. Does that make sense? All the words were exactly the same shape, and they were just going across the screen. Just, just a word, just holy, love, God, powerful, all these words. And then in the dream, I heard this voice, which I assumed to be God, and he said, I'm giving you a new operating system in the dream. He shouted, a new operating system. 
And when he shouted those words, that word, new operating system, suddenly the words, instead of, uh, instead of going across the screen like in a ticker tape, they started falling like rain. Now this is where it gets really interesting. They started falling like rain, and they were different sizes. Some of the words were really tiny, and some were really big, and they were alive. <laughs> I know that sounds great. They were alive, and they were spinning. They were spinning all different directions, and it was kind of like Kind of like a car, like if you looked at a car and you, you could lift the hood and you could see the engine and you get one revelation of the car. And you could open the door and look inside and you could see it from the back and call underneath it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the words, each word had a dimension, had all these different dimensions. And I could look at it from this way and see like, some, I could see the word courage from this perspective and I could look at it over here. And every time, I, every time the word spun, I saw a completely different revelation of the same exact word. And then the word, kind of, the word began to invite me to, to, to come in. And, I, and, I, and I, like I saw the word courage in the dream. And the word was like it was spinning and it was alive. It was, it was living. It was, it was alive. And I, I breathed like this in the dream. And the, and the word inside of me. And suddenly I became courageous. And the Lord said in the dream, every word is an invitation to an experience. It was, cra- it was crazy, and I started, oh, and I started breathing, breathing holy, oh, and suddenly it was no longer, it was no longer a command, it was an experience, and suddenly I was becoming holy. I, I, and the Lord said to me, this is the, a few months earlier, the Lord said to me, I'm about to pour out revelation on this generation that's been held in the vaults of heaven. I mean, you know, God, God, God's intellectual properties are held in the vaults of heaven. They were copyrighted long, copyrighted long before we were born. He said they were held in the vaults of heaven for the eons of ages. He said even the angels, they long to look in the revelation that I'm about to release on this generation. When Daniel said in the last days knowledge will increase, he wasn't talking about the internet. He was talking about the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's going to be wide, there's going to be a lot of it, and it's going to be deep. But the Lord said, if I pour out revelation, this new revelation, on this ticker tape wineskin, it will break the wineskin, and the wine will be lost. So I began to just, I woke up from that dream, and literally the next day when I opened my Bible, it was like I was wearing, I don't know, it's like either I was wearing new glasses or the glasses I was wearing were suddenly taken off and I, could, and I saw the Bible completely different. And I began to realize, like, I would read like, I would read like, Holy Spirit, just the word, Holy Spirit. And I'm like, no longer was it a, a, a demand to be holy, it was an invitation to breathe in the word and become the reality. It's like each word, if you were, if you would, each word was like a porthole into a new experience. Like, like, I don't know, not the word the, you know, I'm being ridiculous, but every single word was like an invitation to an experience. It was like, suddenly it was like, I saw these, each word was like a porthole. Here, come in here. Ooh, breathe that in. Ah, oh, it became courageous. Oh, I became merciful. Oh, and I began to realize that the word of God was living and active. That the word of God was living. It wasn't just living. It was living and active. It wasn't just active out there. It was 
was active in me. It began to act inside of me. Somebody once said, if you base your relationship with God on experience, you could be deceived. That's true, but if you read the Bible and don't have an experience, you're already deceived. See, the goal of the Bible is not so that you can memorize the Bible, but so that you would get to know the author. I don't want to mess with you too bad, but... See, okay, let me just say this, because we're streaming. <laughs> I say things first service. If you want to hear the uncut version, you come first service. Chris Valentin, at least. I believe in the Bible. This is my Bible. I believe in this Bible. It's the Holy Word of God. I do believe that. I believe in the inerrant Word of God. I don't believe there's any mistakes in here. And if there were mistakes, it probably wouldn't be in the places you thought anyway. <laughs> and while I think there's mistakes in the Bible, it wouldn't be in the place you disagree with, would it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like people would come up and say, do you believe in tithing? I say, before I answer that question, are you trying to give more or less? <laughs> I've never had a person ask me that question that was trying to give more. <laughs> so I believe in the Bible. You, are you with me? I read it every day. I've missed a few days. So, but I, I read it every day since I was 18. Okay? Everybody understand that? I could eat, I could tear a page out, eat this. I bet it wouldn't benefit me. I could, you could destroy every Bible that's ever been written on the planet in every format it's in. Computer, iPad, whatever. Every format, and you wouldn't destroy the Word of God. Because the Word of God was before there was ever a printing press. Before anyone ever penned a word and put it on any kind of format. The word of God already was, and it will be long after the earth is gone. So I'd like to suggest to you that this is the word of God, but the word of God isn't ink on a paper. But the word of God is living and active. And Israel, when God said that Israel received living oracles. See, they saw it on stone, but the stone was the picture of a living oracle. See, I can get the picture and not get the word of God. Because the Word of God, see, the Word of God is living and active. I remember years ago, when, um, when I first came here, one of my jobs was to pick up some of the conference speakers at the airport. I didn't know any of them at the time, so they would take a brochure, and they would circle the person I'm supposed to pick up on the, that's, on, you know, that's on the brochure. So, like, they'd take Bobby Connor, picture of Bobby Connor. I remember I picked up Bobby Connor and Bob Jones at the airport. I know, another day, don't, don't chase that. They would circle, you know, and usually in felt pen, here, go pick up Bobby Connors. Never met him. I look, I take the, take the brochure of Bobby Connors, and I, I put it in the front seat. How many of you know I don't have Bobby Connors in the front seat? I have a picture of Bobby Connors. So that when I see him, when I see him, I could pick it up. See, if you're like, if knowing, if memorizing the Bible and knowing God were synonymous, then the Pharisees would have rocked. But I'd suggest to you that they read the word of God. We'll have to go back here, because this wasn't done yet. They read the word of God, but when the word of God was standing in front of them, the word who became flesh. See, the word became flesh. When the word became flesh, 
but didn't know it. You know why? Because they thought this was the word and they didn't realize that that was the word. Say they honored this and they missed the author. A whole bunch of people running around memorizing the scripture, which is great. By the way, I have lots of, uh, I used to have more in my memory. (laughs) I do believe in memorizing the scripture. You understand, I believe in all the disciplines that anyone would believe in, that, that any Christian would believe in. I believe in them. I've taught them to my children. I was taught that the Bible was the foundation of my relationship with God. I teach the prophetic people. Any of the prophetic people know, if you've, you've come to any of my classes, I say the depth of your prophetic ministry is directly related to your, to your understanding of the Bible and your, your relationship with this word. So that's how deeply I believe in it. But the other side of that is, I know lots of people running around that know this and don't know that. Don't know him. And so I want to just invite you into this place and say, have a relationship with God. Don't be, don't think that you know it because you memorized it. Memorizing a a biography of Bill Johnson does not give you a relationship with him. You may know more facts about him than I do and not know him at all. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for totally confusing us. Back to my dream. I had, remember in the dream, I saw some of the words were small and other words were larger and some were huge. And in Isaiah 28, 10, it says this, for precept must be upon precept and line upon line, here a little and there a little. Uh, Let me just put together a few scriptures for you. In Matthew chapter 23, Verse 23, Jesus says to the, the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected, listen to this, the weightier provisions, the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Let me give you one more before I explain when I'm, where I'm going. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, But now faith, hope, and love Abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. Okay, here's where I'm going. You know what perversion is? Perversion. It's the wrong version. If you take sex, you put it in covenant, then you have the most beautiful expression of a covenant relationship between a man and a wife, right? And out of that covenant relationship, out of the beauty of love, comes people. So that people are actually the manifestation of a love encounter through sexuality, which is built on into me, you see. Are you with me? But if you take sex and you move it outside of covenant, now it becomes one of the most destructive forces on the planet. Is there anything wrong with sex? No. The problem is the version. Perversion. You've got the wrong version of the right act. Are you following me? So, now, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Love. You see, faith, true, hope, true, love, true. 
but the greatest is love. When you take, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you tithe, that's fine, you tithe that. But the things that weigh more in the spirit, you neglected those completely. Mercy, justice, and faithfulness, you don't even do those. Listen, you should do these things, these tithe things, but if you were gonna leave something out, it should have not been, should have been not these things, not justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Because these things, are you with me? They weigh more. You remember in my dream, some of the words were big, some were small. Are you with me? I'd like to suggest to you that if you took fatherhood and friendship and you reversed them in the life of a child and you put friendship in, father, in front of fatherhood, you end up with spoiled kids. How many of you know you need to be a father, you need to be a mother, you also need to be a friend to your children? But do you understand that truth has order? And when you take truth out of order, you end up with perversion? Because this truth is weightier than this truth, and therefore it deserves first place, precept upon precept, line upon line. And if you don't build on it, you end up with some kind of a, if you will, eclectic kind of mix of, ugh, yuck. In other words, God wants to release revelation, but he needs to release revelation on a structure of truth, and he needs us to understand that some truth is weightier than other, tr other, tr other truth, so that when we build, that the foundation doesn't have the roof at the bottom and the concrete blocks at the top, so that the structure that's built can actually hold, if you will, the revelation that God is releasing to us. How about this one? Husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. What's greater, love or submission? How about if you shouted submission and whispered love? What's wrong with that? See, you may not realize it, but inherently you know something's wrong. What's wrong? It's a perversion. Why? Because love is heavier. Love is bigger. So you can't say, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Why? Because you're not building line upon line. You got the lines mixed up. So then we end up with, with ladies in the name of God submitting to people who are beating them, terrorizing the children. And we're like, the Bible says, yes, but the Bible first says this. I have to have this. I have to have a foundation to build on. Submission was never the foundation. Love was the foundation. Now I can build all kinds of stuff. I can build honor. I can build submission. I can build all kinds of stuff on love, but if I don't have love, then what do I have? I have no foundation. Whenever truth is out of order, it creates disorder. Okay, Bible. How about this one? The Bible in the hands of the devil is not true. Well, let me put it the way Jesus did then. How about this? The word kills, but the spirit gives life. How Jesus said it this way. He said something really powerful. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it's them that testify of me, and you're unwilling to come to me. You search the scriptures because you think you have life in them, but they lead to me, but you didn't come to me. 
Okay, remember when Jesus in, in uh, Luke 4 and Matthew 4, when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? What does the devil tempt Jesus with? Do you remember? Yeah, how about in um, Luke chapter 4, verse 10? The devil says, It is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that, they, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Do you, know you know what the devil just did? He's trying to get Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. He's trying to get Jesus to commit suicide. How's he doing it? He's using the Bible. A verse that was meant to bless Jesus, it's actually Psalms 91, verse 10 and, verses 11 and 12, was written, it was first written about Jesus before it was ever written about you. And it was written to protect Jesus. The very word that was written to protect Jesus, he will give his angels charge concerning you, under, their, under your wings they will bear you up, da-da-da. That was first written about Jesus. Do you understand this? What was written to protect Jesus, the devil used in the wilderness to try to get him to convince him to commit suicide. He used the Bible. How many know the devil knows the Bible better than you do? He used the Bible and he says, it is written. And what did Jesus do? He used the Bible and he said, but it's also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil used the Bible and then Jesus said, well, I, I got one of those. <laughs> Whew. I got a bigger, don't bring that little night, you know. Some of you, you're going through stuff and you're like, you're going through this this mind thing and it's verses <laughs> like the enemy's using verses that were written to bless you but he's got them and he's cursing you with them he's repeating things that are in the bible but it's not redemptive <laughs> whenever you use the bible in a way that isn't redemptive you're that's the wrong spirit attached to it and you're like this must be god it's in the bible no, no, listen, the Bible in the hands of the enemy is not truth. See, it's the spirit and the word that equal truth. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The spirit and the word equal truth. The devil and the word do not equal truth. They equal deception. If you've ever been in, in a mental hospital, I've been there, there to visit, streaming, been there to visit. It's the most religious place you've ever been to. People are demonized by scriptures. Now, I just said, this, this thing in the hand of God is the most powerful weapon in the world, but put this same book in the wrong hands, and it's the most destructive weapon in the world. I mean, it was religious people who put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the murderers. It wasn't the, the rapists or the, the murderers or the child molesters or the whatever that put Jesus on the cross. It was the Pharisees. And they put them there because they misused the Bible. Hello. Good word. Thank you. <laughs> Some people say all the answers for life are in the Bible. That's not true. Some of the answers for life are in the Bible. The way to find Jesus is in the Bible. So if you're going to say the answer to finding Jesus, it's in the Bible. But not all the answers for life are in the Bible. Well, what do you mean by that? How many of you think that God cares who you marry? So, only half of you raised your hand. 
I could say something funny, but we're streaming. How many of you believe that God cares about who you marry? Can you find a verse about, can you find a verse that would tell you which person to marry? No. How many of you think that God cares where you work? If he cares how many hairs are on your head, some of you, that's an easy count. <laughs> if he cares about sparrows, he certainly cares about you. If he cares where you work, can you find a verse that tells you, specifically you, where to work? No. Does he care? Yes. What I'm getting at is this, that not all the answers for life, not some of the very important answers for life, are not in the Bible. Now, I can, re I can learn about who I should marry, what kind of person I should marry, I mean. I could, you know, that I'm supposed to marry someone who's virtuous and kind and all these things. But how, how many of you know... I can find, I can read the Bible and know what kind of person to look for, but I don't actually know who it is I'm supposed to marry by reading the Bible. But I know who it is by listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so it's the Spirit that leads me into all truth. Are you following me? You should, because I'm right about this. <laughs> There's an interesting story in Romans 14. You can turn there. Verse 1 of Romans 14. Now, to actually get the full manifestation of this verse, to actually like, have the full weight of this verse, understand the full weight of this verse, you actually need to read the whole book of Romans from chapter 1 through chapter 14. And chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says this, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak, everybody say weak, eats vegetables only. <laughs> it didn't say it, it's in the Bible. It's a perfect place for a pause. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the person who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards all days alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does it for the Lord. And he who gives thanks, he and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. Verse 14, I know I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing's unclean in itself, but to him who thinks it's unclean, anything is unclean, to him it's unclean. Let me, let me just stop because I'm making a point out of this, obviously. Paul said, for 13 chapters, Paul said, listen, you guys that are under the law, you guys that are doing all these things to get right with God, like you're, you, you, you don't need to do that. Like we're saved through grace by faith. It's a gift from God. So, so for 13 chapters, he says, listen, the law's been fulfilled in Christ. We're dead to the law and alive to Christ. You died, Romans 6, you rose again, you're crucified, and you, and you were crucified to the law. So you're no longer under the law. And he goes for 13 chapters to explain to the Romans that they are no longer under the law. You got me? Now, in chapter 14, he says, some of you only eat vegetables because of the law, and some of you only eat vegetables because, uh, because the, the meat's being sacrificed to idols. And, and he says, to the, and you think he's going to say, to the person who's 
only eating vegetables and not eating meat, you think he's going to say, listen, listen. And I mean, if you, if you read from chapter 1 to chapter 14, you'd be like, Paul's about to rebuke them for not having faith to eat meat. But instead he goes, listen, the guy who only eats vegetables, leave him alone. You know why? He's theologically wrong, but he's relationally right. He's not eating meat. He refuses to eat meat because he's sacrificing it to the Lord. And then he goes, you that eat meat, then you should eat meat for the Lord. Then he goes, the person who doesn't eat meat is not eating meat because of the Lord. And the person who's eating meat says, God's cleaned everything so I can eat anything. And he's right too. And then he goes, hey, that you that are theologically right, leave the person alone who hasn't got that revelation yet. And don't bring him to your house and feed him meat. Because he might eat meat under peer pressure and he's eaten not by faith, but by fear of offending you. And you've caused your brother to stumble, not because you eat meat, but because you put pressure on him to eat meat when he only has faith for vegetables. You knew I was going to get that in there. And the point isn't eating meat or not eating meat. And in this message, the point is this. He's got a conviction in God, but he's theologically not quite accurate. But he's relationally has a clear conscience. And if he does the right thing theologically in that he eats meat because the meat is clean, because he's no longer under the law, are you with me? He can eat lobster, he can eat whatever because now the meat's clean. You remember the Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and the vision? Are you following me at all? He's like, he can, he can eat meat, but he doesn't have yet, he doesn't have the Peter revelation with the sheet. He doesn't have that revelation. So he still thinks it's unclean, even though it's theologically clean. <laughs> but his conscience doesn't know that. And therefore, if he eats it, he's actually rebelling against God, even though he's theologically right, his conscience convicts him. Because he's not eating by faith, he's eating by peer pressure. So he's doing the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Okay, you're like, well, what does that have to do with me? Don't eat vegetables alone. (laughs) Kill and eat. Oh, I'm joking. What it means is this. This should take us into a relationship with God. When this keeps a person out of relationship with God, we have to be careful how we relate to them because in our dogma, for people to get it right, they can do the right thing, but because their convictions are different and because the Holy Spirit hasn't yet revealed to them, if you will, the sheet and the, the animals who got clean, they think the animals are unclean and because you are because there's peer pressure to do what they don't have faith to do, they've actually done the wrong thing even though they did the theologically right thing. What I'm getting at is this, our relationship with God is so important that we have to make sure that we don't violate it with our revelation in other people. So when the man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved, what does he say to him? What does the scripture say to you? He could give him like, okay, sit down, son. Got about 400 chapters to read to you. 
He says, what do you understand you're supposed to do? He goes, I know I'm supposed to do this, this, and this. He goes, just do that then. He goes, I did all that. He goes, oh, you want more. <laughs> you want more. And then what does he do? He tells them, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Well, there's not even a verse for that in the Old Testament. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Whoa, yeah, I was hoping for a verse. <laughs> I was hoping for a verse. I mean, like, wow. We have to make sure that we don't use our sword to cut off people's ears in the name of being right. We have to realize that we can inspire people, but it's the Holy Spirit who teaches them. This morning, I'm sharing information with you. I'm inspiring you. But it's the Holy Spirit who we have entrusted to teach you. He's your teacher. <laughs> we got a few more minutes. I want to just finish with one more thing. The Word of God is always held in tension. For instance, Jesus said this. Honor your mother and father. I know you got to honor your mother and your father. If you're in Italy, you, you honor your mother and your father. And you'll have long life. Right? Three chapters later, he says, unless you hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you can't be my disciple. I'm like, do I honor my mother and father? Or do I hate them? How about this one? Paul says it to... Uh, to Galatians chapter 5. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. I, Paul, want you to make sure you know. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And I say to you, that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. Acts chapter 16 says, And Paul took Timothy, who had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and circumcised him. If I was Timothy, I'd be like, hey, 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 Galatians 5-2. Whoa, whoa, you said it's going to be, Christ is going to be of no benefit to me. You go, whoa, get that knife away from me, dude. I'm standing on the word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus teaches us to pray Lead us, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many of you know that part of the Lord's Prayer? But in Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus was led into the wilderness by the capital S Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Wait a second. In chapter 6, he says, Pray that we would not be led into temptation. In chapter 4, it says, The Spirit actually led him into temptation to be tempted by the devil. You're like, Do I pray not to? Or do I go with the Spirit? <laughs> Maybe he had us pray that after. I was like, hey, pray that doesn't happen to you. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I say to you, resist him who's evil. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, come on. Give him the left also. But in John chapter 2, Jesus went into the temple. First he went home, made a whip. Homemade. That would sell for a lot on eBay, I'll tell you that. He made a whip. He went to the temple. What did he do with the evil people? Did he turn the other cheek? 
No, he drove them out, turned over their tables, and chased them with the whip. I've heard people say all the time, well, he didn't hit anybody. He's Jesus. Whatever, he scared the bejeebers out of him, I'll tell you that. Do I turn the other cheek? Or do I make a whip and drive him out? Do I get circumcised? This is for the men. <laughs> Jesus said to the disciples, buy swords, sell your coats, buy swords. This is Luke chapter 22. Buy swords, sell your coats and buy swords. And yet, in John 18, Peter uses the sword. Jesus said, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? What kingdom are you from? You said, buy swords. You said, buy swords. I never told you to use them. <laughs> How many of you uh, have this struggle? There are hundreds of these paradoxes in the Bible. Do I do this or do I do that? Do I, do I, do, do I love my mama or do I hate my mama? Do I, do, I, <laughs> do I get the sword or do I not use the sword? Do I turn the cheek or do I hit him back? <laughs> and the here's the challenge. We tend to polarize like we have, we have turn the cheek camps and we have whip camps. <laughs> and the whip camp, you know, whatever camp you're in, like you, you, you get your identity from it and you build a whip ministry. <laughs> we are a whipped ministry. And, and what I get when I'm, where I'm going is like, we, we tend to polarize to one or the other, or, or then we have the people who are balanced. They homogenize the two. We're like, Jesus had a whip, but he was kind with it. He used it to direct people that way, <laughs> that way, over here. You heard it, you're like, what the? How did you get that? And people take... They, they take the core values and they homogenize them and they come out with nothing. You're like, you like ground zero. You don't know where to go because we homogenize two truths to the place where they're no longer true. And, I'm, and I would like to suggest to you that one of the ways we accurately handle the Word of God is to let the Holy Spirit teach us when to apply this. This is, this is true 100% of the time that it's true. And this is true, 100% of the time, it's true. And I don't have to reconcile that with this when the Holy Spirit tells me to do this. I don't even have to think about that. I don't even have to think about how that applies because the Holy Spirit told me to do this right now. And when I'm doing this, the polar opposite, I don't have to worry about how does that apply. Well, when you said it, what's the con Well, the Holy Spirit told me this, so I'm doing this right now, even though I know that that is 100% true. And so in first year, I do this every year. I teach this thing every year. In, in first year school ministry, and I say, and I, I share a scripture, and I say, what's the scripture held in tension? And they give me the other side. <laughs> and I give them about 30 different ones. All those that have been school ministry know this. I give them about 30 scriptures, and I say, if I said this to you, what's the other scripture that's held in tension? Because I think that it's when it's holding these two in tension. I think Paul did a great illustration one time. It's like a bow. I'm talking about like a bow and arrow. Like, the reason why the arrow flies is because the tension, the intention. We are intentional. We are intentional. We keep these two truths in tension. We don't try to homogenize them. We keep them in tension, and that's what makes the arrow fly. Is that we, that we trust Jesus to tell me when to do this, 
But I need to be aware that there's this, and I need to be aware that there's this, right? I need to be aware that there's this, and while I'm doing this, I have to be aware that there is another way, so that I know that this is, so that I know that I'm being led by the Spirit and not being led by my reaction to the way I was raised, <laughs> or my reaction to whatever, right? Oh, you know, we, you know, Proverbs says, bind kindness around your neck. Wear it like a necklace. Let it always guide you. Next chapter. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do I be kind? Or do I wound them? I don't know. I have permission to do both, but only one's the right answer in this situation. Would you stand? By the way, if you don't know what this, like if you know this scripture, but you don't know that one, just put that scripture on Facebook. <laughs> Within 15 minutes, you'll know the other scriptures. Would you put your hand on your heart, please? So Holy Spirit, we just release right now the revelation of Jesus Christ that you bring to us, that you would enlighten us, as Paul said, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so our head knows what to do. And Lord, I just pray that you, that by the Spirit we would go places that our mind would never take us. That our mind would become a great servant, but it would not be our master. That you would be our master, that you would direct us, that you would correct us, that you would lead us into all truth. And you would share with us things that are yet to come. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I receive that for myself. Amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast is now being translated in several languages. Visit podcasts.ibethel.org.